welcome to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. This podcast by Kevin Paneskis, also known as the Property Soldier, covers all aspects of serviced accommodation and how to make it a profitable and sustainable business. Kevin started investing in property in 1991 whilst serving in the British Army and now owns a multi-million pound property portfolio and serviced accommodation business and is a best-selling author. And now your host. Kevin Paneskis. Hey, Kevin, Property Soldier here. So I often get asked about uh, the tilt or people often tell me about the problems that they're having raising money for investing in property and also uh, doing service accommodation. Okay, so general uh, raising money for property investing and raising money for service accommodation. And remember, that might be just rent to service accommodation. So you don't necessarily have to be buying property to be um, earning money from service accommodation. And so what I'm going to do is is cover a working with other people. So joint venturing, but also raising joint venture finance. So other people's money. Now, I'm just going to crack on with this because I'm, I'm releasing this as a podcast episode. So by all means, those people that are watching this on Facebook and YouTube and, and lots of different platforms, uh, because I'm streaming this out live across multiple platforms, by all means, comment uh, whilst I'm doing this uh, video, this podcast, etc. And um, I'll jump in and answer any questions at the end. For those people watching this on catch up, uh, so not live, then by all means comment in the uh, the questions box or in the comments box and I will come back to that at another time and answer any questions uh, that you've got. So let's get cracking with this then. How to raise finance and other people's money and find joint venture partners then. Let me just get my slides and stop waggling my camera too much as I'm going. So why joint venture with people? Well, ultimately, joint venturing with somebody else. So this might not not necessarily be, uh, you know, trying to raise money from that person. It could just be a joint venture partner or a business partner. And I definitely recommend that you don't try and pick somebody who's just like you. You should be picking somebody that has uh, different skill sets than you. So if you are more of an analyst, you're the, the number cruncher, et cetera, then you might want someone that's a li- little bit more, you know, maybe you are also a people person. But let's say you're not a people person and you can joint venture with somebody that is a little bit more outgoing, somebody that can perhaps um, form the relationship or go and do the viewings with the letting agents or the estate agents or the vendors of property. Um, in order to be making the offers. So some people are, are much more confident in that way, aren't they? Uh, but again, you might be that person, but you might not be that great at um, deal analysis and number crunching and taking care of finances and all of those things. So I'll just give you an example there of why you shouldn't try and joint venture or have a business partner uh, with somebody that's just like you. You should be looking for somebody with opposite skill sets or or complementary skill sets um, different uh, than yours so absolutely you can you can tap into other people's knowledge so they uh, clearly could have uh, different knowledge uh, uh, expertise than you other people's experience as well you could be a complete newbie and they they might be more experienced let's say it is in property 
but you can be bringing lots of drive and enthusiasm to the party and time. They might have more experience, but not that much time. So, so that could definitely work. And just leveraging the other person's skill set, as I just said, hopefully with different skills than you. So that would be just a starter for 10 in terms of why joint venturing with other people. And, and if you are going to joint venture with other people, the sorts of the type of person that you should be looking for. And then I'm now going to talk about the main uh, topic of this live, this uh, podcast is other people's money. So OPM, using other people's money. Why should you? And how do you get other people's money? So here's the thing. Let's say you run out of money and and that's actually not such a bad thing as a property investor to run out of money because a lot of people, they've got a pot of cash. So I, I was you know, mentoring somebody earlier on today and they have a pot of cash. And, and that is a bit of an issue in terms of they think that they have to use up their pot of cash before looking for other people's money. And no, that isn't the case. I think it's always a good idea to have a buffer. If you have got a pot of cash, then have a certain amount as a buffer. You can immediately crack on with using other people's money. Um, I mean, when you've got your own pot of cash, that can act as a deposit or proof of deposits even. You can still use other people's money for deposits, but you've got a, a chunk of, of money in the bank that's been there for a while, for a long time. Sometimes lenders want to see a pot of cash that's been sat there for a while. Uh, three months bank statements, for instance. When you're using other people's money, yes, you have loan agreements. I'll talk about those shortly. But uh, and it might be that you're going to have their money for a certain amount of time, etc. But there could be an emergency where they need it back uh, soon or quickly, and you can either stick to the terms of the loan or you can just say, okay, well, I, I'm, I am able to give it you back. So that that provides a bit of a buffer as well. So. You don't have to run out of money to use other people's money. But if you don't have any money, then clearly you do need to use other people's money. And there's no right or wrong. But what I often find is that the people that have very little money are the sorts of people that immediately go out there and do property investing correctly. All right. They're sourcing. They're actually going in and getting deals that are deals. So they might be below market value deals or deals where you can be adding value to them. And when you find deals like that, then you're able to raise money for that deal. So we'll, we'll come back to that very, very shortly. So there's nothing wrong with having no money because actually that is often what's, what makes people do it right, property investing. Um, so what else? You don't. You might not want to use your own money, so there's absolutely nothing wrong with using your own money. As I said, keeping it there as a buffer, and you can create more with less. So, if you're just using one pot of cash, let's say it's your own pot of cash, and you might just do one property deal at a time. It could be a buy, refurbish, refinance into single let HMO, serviced accommodation, whatever it may be. Then um, you'll just be able to do one at a time potentially if you're just using one pot of cash. Whereas if you've got multiple pots of cash, you can have multiple projects going on at the same time. So it's it, it's you can just literally do more. Okay, you can you can just leverage that and do more. And so therefore, let's say um, with a service combination property, you're cash flowing a thousand pounds a month um, post refinance. Then why just do one at a time? I mean, how many do you want? Just 
just crack on getting multiple deals done at the same time and be using other people's money to be doing multiple deals at the same time. And you can have different uh, refurb teams or, you know, you can have one main project manager who has got lots and lots of different contractors to be knocking out the uh, the jobs um, concurrently. So absolutely, you can definitely do more, um, uh, more with less effectively. And you're going to be reducing your financial risk. So if you're using other people's money, there is shared risks. So I'll, I'll talk about, you know, sophisticated investor versus non-sophisticated investor in, in a minute. But it, it's not just all your eggs in one basket. It's not just all your money and it's shared risk. So you might have some of yours, some of other people's money. And, and I would suggest you don't take their last penny. So don't let them over leverage themselves. So. Um, they have to have money that they're willing to invest in order to also risk. So again, I'll come. I'll come to how to do your uh, due diligence on on these people in a minute. Um, and guess what? Other people's money. It could just be as simple as the banks are not lending. So the cycles to happen, don't they? Every now and then, the banks don't lend, or their loan to values might be really, really heart so they might again i was talking to somebody this morning and it was like a 50 percent loan to value so they've got to come up with the 50 percent of the purchase price as a deposit and so again you don't get to do many deals at once if at all um when that uh, scenario is in place so the thing is to remember here is that there is an awful lot of money languishing in people's bank accounts you might not know about it because people don't tell everybody about it because they know that their friends and family will just want to borrow money without interest and, and without a likelihood of getting that money back, right? But when you can represent, here's the main thing to remember here, when you can represent a better rate of return than people are getting in the bank, then they are more motivated to give you their money, all right? So we'll talk more about that as we go, as we go through. So... There's three steps to this, all right? There's three steps to raising funds from somebody. Now, that may be sophisticated, may be unsophisticated, but ultimately, to start off with, you fact find. You listen. You listen to the other person. So when you are um, in a meeting and when you are talking to somebody, and ultimately what you want to do is to raise joint venture finance, then listen to them. Now, I'll come to the, the Crest model very, very shortly in terms of uh, what people want out of a joint venture. But if you listen, then you can ultimately package the deal around what your joint venture partner wants, your, your investor wants, or it could be a business partner as well. But let's just be talking about raising funds here. And so you can dress it around that. So whatever it is that's most important to them, and, and I'll, like I say, I'll cover the Crest model very, very shortly. You literally just go and create whatever it is that um, appeals to their highest values in a deal. So don't just go in there and pitch what you think is a great deal because we are absolutely, we are all different here. So you need to actually uh, wrap and package the deal around what they want if you can. And so if you can, then potentially you're going to be able to raise funds from them. And then once you've done that, you go back in and offer and, and close on the deal. But you, you stand a much better chance of success if you're going, if you're doing it that way. So here's where you use what we call the values elicitation script. 
the values elicitation script. Now, ultimately, what you need to do is, is ask this question. What is most important to you in a joint venture? Or what is most important to you in terms of investing your money? What is it that you want to see in the deal, in the person? Um, and they will tell you. They will tell you what you need to do to make it a deal that is appealing for them. This is fundamentally important. People get this completely the wrong way around. They go in and they pitch what is important to themselves, not what's important to the other person. So this is where I'm going to uh, talk about the values of list. Oh, sorry, the Crest formula because the Crest formula that it's um, it's a it's a five headings in the crest formula the, the c stands for credibility the r for return the e for exit the s for security and the t is for trust and whenever i have got an audience of people i ask the audience to shout out all at once which one is most important to them so credibility would be the the person that they're going to invest with how much credibility have they got return would be how much money, how much return on my investment are you going to give me? What is the interest rate? The exit strategy is exactly that. How are you getting out of this deal maybe to then give me my money back if it is, if it is uh, you know, say, a buy, refurbish, sell or a buy, refurbish, refinance? What is the exit strategy? Is it security? Does the investor want to have a charge against an asset or something like that or, or be a, uh, an equity partner in the company that purchases the the property, for instance. So is it that? Is that the most important thing? Or is it trust? Is it simply a case of trusting the other person, you, the investor? Is that the most important thing to them? Because this is the actually the one that most people completely underestimate is that people invest with people who they know, like, and trust. And trust can go an awful long way, an awful long way. So if you are a trustworthy individual, then you have got a significant advantage. You've got a significant um, uh, power play there to be able to raise joint venture finance. But a lot of people just underestimate the fact that they are trustworthy and they underestimate the fact that other people know and can see that, that you are a trustworthy person. So do not underestimate that because I've, I've uh, used an awful lot, hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of other people's money on a straight loan with no security just on on just trust and so they might lend me their money for a year two years and I, I can just go and do what I like with that property effectively with that money effectively and I'm investing it in property but and I'm giving them a return on their investment and they trust me to give it them back with interest so again please don't underestimate that so when I'm asking people to shout out all at once what's the most important thing to them I, I, I will get five different answers from the from the crowd. And, and, and that just proves the point. And, and people are looking around thinking, oh, wow, so other people have got different priorities than me. And that is the point here. So the values elicitation script is you're asking the other person what is most important to them in a joint venture. Or what is the most important thing to them in terms of, of uh, lending their money or borrowing or lending their money out? OK. So that's just something for you to understand. Credibility return exit, security, and trust. That is the Crest formula. Now, sophisticated versus unsophisticated investors. So with a sophisticated investor, what you should do is, is look at 
these regulations. I'm going to give you broad brush now. You've got the FCA, Financial Conduct Authority, 13 forward slash three. So FCA, in fact, it's FCA PS 13 forward slash three. Have a look at that. Go and look at that online. And it will give you the definitions of um, a sophisticated investor versus a non-sophisticated investor. So broad brush here, um, a sophisticated investor is a, a could be a high net worth individual. High net worth is income of over £100,000 from a job or assets in excess of £250,000 outside of your pension or your private residence. So it can't just be equity in your home. Um, and so that is a high net worth individual. Sophisticated investor is uh, a director of a company turning over. These are examples. So a director of a company turning over more than one million or someone that has two or more investments in an unlisted company in the past two years. So go and have a look at PS 13 forward slash three and, and you will see all the different definitions of high net worth individuals and sophisticated investors now if it is a sophisticated investor or high net worth individual then there are more types of joint ventures that you can do for instance them investing in your company which is the purchase vehicle or being a shareholder for instance you know that type of scenario if they are not then they're, they're not a sophisticated investor or high net worth individual then you can just do a straight loan with them Okay, a straight loan, as I mentioned earlier, where they're lending you their money and you're just giving them a fixed rate of return on that money. Now, in order to establish that somebody is a high net worth individual or a sophisticated investor before you go into a joint venture with them, you should get them to fill in a self-certification. So they fill it in themselves and they, they put in what they want to put in on that form because you don't want them clamming up. You don't want to be asking them lots of personal private information you just can download the from the fca's website a self-certification form and email it to them and they fill that in and as long as they filled that in and self-certified then you are covered to be um joint venturing with them and doing joint venture finance type projects with them okay so that is uh that type of of other people's money and then you've got unsophisticated investors so Again, just have a look at the FCA, the PS 13.463. But, you know, somebody that typically doesn't meet the sophisticated or high net worth um, type scenarios, that's going to be family, isn't it? Family, friends, or it could be a small business owner, someone like that. So in that circumstance, it's just a straight loan where, you know, you can download just a loan template off the Internet and you're going to say, look, I'm going to use this amount of, you're going to lend me that amount of money, and this is the interest rate that we're going to give you. It could be monthly interest. It could be on on exit. It could be rolled up, you know, whatever it could compound. I don't suggest you allow the interest to compound. But ultimately, that just goes on a straight loan agreement, okay? And that would be for an unsophisticated investor. And I much prefer the straight loans. I, I do straight loans even when people are sophisticated or high net worth. You know, I borrowed £105,000 off of somebody once on a straight loan agreement. And they were, yes, high net worth, sophisticated investor, but it was £105,000 on a straight loan agreement. And, and the, there was no security or anything like that, just purely the loan agreement filled out. 
And so that was trust. And I, I hadn't, I've still not met this person, actually. I've had a lot of money off this chap ever since, but I've, I didn't, hadn't met him at the time. And so you'd be surprised. This was vicarious trust. This was, this was a friend of a friend saying that Kev is a trustworthy guy. And so he lent me £105,000. Uh, it was 1% per month. I only needed the money um, for about six weeks anyway. Um, but uh, yes, it it happens. It works. And so you can do this too. That's the point I'm, I'm making here. So yeah, that's uh, just doing it on a straight loan type scenario. So here's, here's another way that you can uh, raise money. And this is the selling without selling type scenario so what you do is you just ask for feedback on a deal so remember i said at the beginning of this the way to raise money is to go out and find a deal a lot of people sit there waiting for the door to knock somebody to knock on the door and say i've got all this money for you to go invest in property can you can get off the sofa now of course that isn't going to happen is it the ideal scenario is you learn how to do your due diligence now this is on service accommodation it could be rent to service accommodation could be single let, could be HMOs, could be whatever, a commercial conversion deal, doesn't matter. You learn how to go and do the deals and you learn how to appraise a deal and to do your due diligence on a deal and then when, and you make your offer and when you get yes to your offer, that's when it, you can go and raise the finance, all right? That's, that's one way of doing this. So what you can do is create, a, you know, it gets called different things. So a business plan or an investment proposal, an investor pack, whatever it may be. So let's say it's a, a service accommodation property where you're going to get it at that price, spend that amount on it on a refurb, and it's going to um, be valued up at the higher figure post refurb. And you put that into an investor pack. So you've got your quotes from builders, etc., in there, and and you can show comparables of of comparable properties uh, that have sold recently in that area. And so let's say it's a, it's a similar house. So that's the end value. You don't get commercial values on, on, commercial, uh, on service accommodation, furnished holiday let type service accommodation. You don't get commercial values on those. So it's just going to be on straight bricks and mortar values. And you're showing how much money it can make each month by, uh, you know, proof of uh, bookings. And, and uh, you can be showing examples of other service combination properties, what they're turning over, uh, what their night rates are, all of those things. And you can put this into an investor pack. And ultimately, you can show that to somebody. It could be a high net worth individual, could be a sophisticated investor, could be friends and family. And you can be asking for feedback on that deal. And you can say, look, I've got somebody in mind that I'm going to be taking this uh, deal to um, uh, because, you know, this this represents a, a huge return on investment, um, giving people much better rate of return than they're getting in the bank. Um, but I would value your opinion on it. And guess what? If you do that to high net worth individuals, et cetera, and their money sat in the bank going down in value, why is it going down in value? Because of inflation, because the, the interest rate is non-existent right now isn't it so it's going down in value whereas it could be going up in value and earning people much better rate of return if it was in property and if you can show them that deal then you're so much more likely to get the money because what you're suggesting is you're taking that deal away from them and you're going to give it to somebody else where they can earn better rate of return um, than their money's getting in the bank so you've not pitched 
you just asked for feedback. And if what's the worst that can happen? They say, okay, yeah, um, give you some feedback, or no, I'm not willing to give feedback. Worst can happen. But they give you some feedback, or they might say, um, that's either for me, or it's not for me, but I know somebody else that might well be interested in this. So that is just another way of, of raising funds, selling without selling. It's called under the radar influence. So that's a really cool one to do. Now then, how do you meet these high net worth individuals? So where do they hang out? Well, it's not down the, the you know, the um, working man's club, is it? <laughs> so it's in private members clubs. That's where they hang out. And by the way, you can you can join these. You can just look at it as a, um, you know, a return on investment, whatever the fee is. I know a lady that used to um, do her business meetings out of a private members club. And I actually went there, um, myself and my love, Caroline, to have a business meeting with her. So she was getting the use of the place and, and using the conference rooms, etc. But when she wasn't conducting, uh, you know, business meetings, um, she was obviously doing work there, um, her daily work, etc., but having conversations with extremely successful, high net worth individuals. And whenever people ask you in these places, what is it you do? You, you can say something like this. I use um, other people's money to invest in property, giving them a much rate, better rate of return than they're getting in the bank. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. I use other people's money to invest in property, giving them a much better rate of return than they're getting in the bank. Now, they might then say, oh, wow, well, that's interesting. What sort of rate of return or what security do you do you offer? Guess what they're now doing? They're telling you what is the most important to them in a JV. They're telling you which one of the Crest formula is most important to them. So, again, there's no point in having these conversations with people down you know, in the working man's club, is there? You should be having these conversations with high net worth individuals. Uh, so, yeah, flying clubs, golf clubs, yacht clubs, business angel meetings. So that's, that, they're a good one where people, um, high net worth individuals go to these places to sit um, in a particular area and uh, people go there to pitch for money. And so when you go there, you can either be in amongst the people pitching or you can be sat in amongst the investors. And I would suggest you're better off actually, unless you want to go there and pitch, but you're better off going there and just saying that you are one of the investors and sit with those, those people. And when they ask you what you do, guess what you tell them? You invest in property. You use other people's money to give them a much better rate of return than they're getting in the bank. Okay, so that's just a little tip there for how you start mixing with these high net worth individuals. And the other thing that I'm going to finish up with here, because what are we about 26 minutes in, um, is social media. You should be posting on social media how you are giving your investors a much better rate of return than they're getting in the bank. You can be um, talking about how you do earn whilst you learn, where you your investors, A, they get to earn a much better rate of return than getting in the bank, but also you can teach them about property investing. They can come and, and do walkthroughs of your projects. Okay, so that, that's just a scenario. You, you might not have any on the go at the moment, but ultimately... You just document your journey because a lot of these people are just watching you on social media. So even when you are starting out, even when you are just making your, you know, booking your viewings, going on your viewings, doing your due diligence on deals, going online in order to work out night rates for service accommodation or, or you know, doing your due diligence on, on rents and 
for single lets and HMOs and whatever it may be, you document your journey on social media and people are watching. They don't need to be liking and commenting. They will be watching. And then when they reach the tipping point of where they know, like, and trust you because they're doing that via social media, that's when they can reach out to you or will reach out to you and say, look, I'm really interested in what you're doing. I'd like, would you like to meet for a coffee? Okay. Or can you tell me how I might be able to invest or this, this um, earn whilst you learn? Can you talk more about that? Can we, can we meet or have a phone call or whatever it may be? And so this is where you're sort of building up your credibility by using social media as well. So don't wait that because it, because it, don't wait until you're a successful property investor with all the money you need and, and loads and loads of properties before you start posting on social media, because that's that's not the right way to do it. Here's the thing. If you are a complete beginner then you will resonate with certain people who are more likely to trust you if they think this person's a complete beginner. And certain people resonate with certain people as well. So there will be people out there that, that identify with you. They would be turned off if you were already extremely uh, successful property investor. So that's just something to bear in mind. If you are already a successful property investor, then again, you should be posting and you will be getting people reaching out to you. It happens to me all of the time. Money is not a problem for investing in property. It really isn't. But you've got to uh, follow these steps and do these things in order to make money not a problem. So hopefully you found this episode of the podcast useful. So give me a like if that was useful and I'll do more of this type of stuff. Uh, comment in the comments um, if you have, any, have got any observations or you've got any questions on any of the things that I have just covered. Uh, reach out to me on social media. You know, if you're listening to this on the podcast, that's absolutely fine. If you want to learn more about Earn Whilst You Learn, I mean, the current project that I'm doing is a uh, guest house B&B conversion into an apartment hotel. And there's lots of people want to learn about that. Um, and yes, on, on my on my next one, then you could be an investor on that as well. And so you could be learning about that as well as um, earning much better rate of return than you're getting in the bank. And yes, I will be uh, covering a training on uh, turning guest house B&Bs into apart hotels as well. So if this has all been useful for you, then like I say, give me a like comment um, uh, more of the same and whatever or make an observation ask me any questions those of you watching this on catch up i'll, I'll check back in uh, later on just to answer any further questions so i'm going to finish as i always do and say because this is the service accommodation property podcast as well but here's to your success in service accommodation and remember your future needs you take care everyone and i will see you all soon Thank you for listening to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. You can also follow me on social media and YouTube by searching The Property Soldier. Also check out my website, www.propertysoldier.co.uk, where you can learn even more about property investing and serviced accommodation.